Okay, our campaign that we've been in is called Worthy. Worthy, we've been talking about worship, how God is the only one worthy of our worship. We spent the first half of this campaign talking about informal forms of worship, how we're drawn to worship by a beautiful sight in creation, by something uh, amazing that somebody has done for us, uh, an act of love, an act of charity. When we see that and we experience that, those things draw us to worship, how God is praised in creation. Creation declares the glory of the Lord. Uh, the second half of this campaign, we've been talking about the more formal forms of worship, the churchy forms of worship, and kind of exploring why we do the things we do and what's the heart of these things. Remember, we've been driving at this idea of how these are vehicles of worship. These things can become worship in and of themselves. We can worship the sermon. We can worship community life. We can worship private worship, right? If those are the highest uh, admiration that we hold, those things become the object of worship. Uh, Instead, we need to think of these as vehicles, vehicles that help us to worship God. Now, when I was a kid, I grew up in the church. Uh, I was a pastor's kid for pretty much all of my life. I went to Christian school. So my weekly routine was six days a week at church. (laughs) So I was there all the time. And (laughs) when I was there, I remember thinking as a kid, I was like, if you guys know me, if you can hear me singing out here, like, music is not a gifting of mine, all right? Like, singing on key is not a strength of mine. I remember when I was in college, we played this game called Rock Band, right? And there's, there's one role where you have as the singer, and... Like you're supposed, it gives you like immediate feedback of like whether you're on key or not. It tells you to go higher or go lower. Now, I'm questioning the accuracy of that thing because it's a cheap video game system. But like I remember trying to like get my voice like to go up to the line, and I'm just like getting louder. Like I'm not singing higher at all. I'm just getting louder. I'm like I can't. I don't know what I'm doing. All right. So I don't like singing very much. And I remember as a kid thinking, like, what's with all the singing around church? Why do we sing all the time, right? When I was, again, I said I I went to Christian school. So we would have these things called morning exercises that we would, I think it was twice a week. Basically, all that meant was we would go down in the gym in the morning and sing. (laughs) Um, We had music class uh, where we would sing and learn how to sing. And we would, of course, sing Christian songs. We had chapel once a week where we would begin with singing, right? And then when I was an upperclassman, it was a requirement that you would be a part of the music in some capacity. So I was like, all right. I asked John, I was like, hey, man, what's like the easiest instrument to play? I think you can give me bass, right? Bass guitar. So I played bass because it was simple. It was easy. It was like the bare minimum that I could do. And apart from one song, I could hide, right? I had to play one song that I had to lead, and I, I nailed that one, but the rest of it, I just I hid. I turned myself down. I didn't want to be heard, right? And I made it my goal to, like, never play an instrument again after that, and I've been successful. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you. That's a real achievement. Um, <laughs> and not only that, we would do a school play once a year. So... <laughs> And then we didn't only have to sing, we had to dance <laughs> and like act. So as a kid, I'm like, what is the deal with all the singing? 
And then, not only that, but every Sunday, uh, we would sing, of course, in church. And I remember the singing portion feeling like an eternity. It felt so long for me as a kid. Um, as our services were 90 minutes, all right, so you're like, this is, this is long. Like, pastor went an hour 10, okay? We would go 90 minutes. And our church was pretty charismatic back in the day. So that combo means a lot of singing, right? It means, like, the, the music is just going to linger. If, when the spirit's moving, keep it moving, right? The, the music just keeps going. So there's a ton of singing. And I, as a kid, I hated singing. So I was like, why are we singing? And I say that if you're asking the same questions, right? Like, what's with all the singing at church? Why do we sing so much? What's going on here? Uh, so what I want to kind of get at today is just the idea of praise. Singing is all about praise. It's expressing our gratitude. It's expressing our admiration to God verbally. Okay. is all we're doing when we praise and we worship. So then what, what better way to do it than through congregational singing? And we all know the same words. We put them up here on the screen. Uh, we put it to music, and we can praise God together through singing. Praise is, again, I said the verbal expression of our worship. Worship, remember, is our total adoring uh, response to God, who he is and all that he's done. It's one way of thinking about it. So, again, if that's true, praise is just us expressing our adoration for God. Declaring that he is worthy. It's just us telling him how great he is, is the way I describe it to my kids. Praise and this idea of worship are so closely linked that we even like refer to the singing portion of our service as the worship. We use worship in a lot of different senses. We use it to describe the whole service, the worship service. We use it to describe just the singing portion of the service. And we use it much more broadly often to describe like everything we do as an act of worship. Okay? So... I could rant and rave about that. I'm not the language police, right? That's just the way we use it. I just want you to know that this is the language that we use so you can kind of identify what we're talking about when we talk about uh, worship. Because praise is an important component of worship, but it isn't comprehensive to describe worship. It's an element of it, but it's not the whole thing. And for a lot of us, this is a churchy term, right? When we talk about praise, it's one of those terms that we tend to only really use around church, a couple other contexts, of course, but not very often. So it can feel awkward to us. Praise can sometimes feel a little bit awkward. I mean, when was the last time you just went up to somebody and told them directly, like, praised them for how awesome they are, how great they are? We don't, it's not something that we do every day, so it can feel a little bit awkward. So what I want to do is just take a minute to, like, diffuse the awkward out of it for you. All right. <laughs> to help us see that we actually do this every day. We do this all the time. We're very good at praising. It's kind of hard when we're like face to face with somebody is what I was getting at, or like praising God is kind of, it can feel a little awkward, but we do praise all the time. And let me demonstrate it for you. I probably only need one example, but I'll go to more. Um, dog owners. <laughs> Think of how you talk to your dog, right? <laughs> like you're really good at that. You probably praise your dog all the time. Oh, what a good boy. You're so sweet. You're such a good puppy. So snuggly. You're so smart. Right? Uh, we do that all. That's praise. Right? It's a ridiculous voice, but we do that. <laughs> Don't talk to your spouse like that. Right? 
<laughs> which Spin and I have often noticed, we'll like be saying goodbye to our dog, like, see you, buddy, you're such a good boy. And then we'll like say bye to each other, like, bye, hon. I'm like, what is that? <laughs> what the heck is that? <sighs> I don't get it. So now we just make jokes about it. Um, okay, cat, I'm not talking to cat owners because like I can't, I can't fathom praising a creature so evil, so. <laughs> Ooh, you just look like you're about to rip my face off. Ooh. You just love to be, to avoid me. Okay. I'm kidding, cat owners. I'm sure you praise your cats too, and they're great. I'm not a cat person. All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you're a foodie, like, describe to me your favorite food. All right. Describe to me why you love it, what you're tasting when you eat it. That's praise. It's the same thing. If you're a sports fan, describe to me your favorite sports team, your favorite player. Uh, if you're a fan of the arts and music or acting, describe to me your favorite actor, your favorite movie, your favorite performer, musical artist, whatever that is. That's, that's praise, right? So what I'm getting at here is this idea, it's a very simple idea that we all know, but it kind of gets blocked a little bit when we translate it to God. That we're all very good at praise. We praise all the time. We praise what we adore. We praise what we delight in. And so then the obvious question is, do we delight in God? Here's what C.S. Lewis wrote about this in Reflections on the Psalms. Remember, if someone said it, C.S. Lewis said it better. Okay, he says, I think we delight to praise in what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of a compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not to be able to tell anyone how good he is, to come suddenly at the turn of a road upon some mountain valley or unexpected grandeur, and then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in the ditch, to hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. The Scotch, Scotch Catechism says that man's chief end is, quote, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But we shall then know that these are the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. Love this. I love this. What God calls us to do in glorifying him, in praising him, is merely the verbal expression of our enjoyment of him. And as he says here, it's not complete until we do, until we tell him how awesome he is, how much we enjoy him, we must express our delight in him. So my prayer for us today is that as we reflect on this and as we think about it this week and sit alone with God this week, we simply, that this idea of, do I delight in God? That then praise will come naturally to you. Because I think we naturally praise what we delight in. We're good at it. We do it all the time. So that leads us to the question of, if I struggle to praise, do I delight in God? And that's a big question. And that's a question that you shouldn't rest until you have figured out. It's an important question. So do you delight in God? And if so, praise will be a joy for you. It'll just be an expression of your enjoyment of God. Who he is and what he has done. Our verse that we've been in for the second half of this campaign is John 4, 23. It's Jesus one of his biggest statements on worship. He says, but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. 
So, just like preaching, genuine worship of God through praise and singing must be in spirit and in truth. Our spirit has been awakened to God by the Holy Spirit. When we sing praises to him, if it is genuine worship, we'll kind of sense that connection to God. It's hard to describe because it's very spiritual in nature, right? But you'll sense this connectivity with God through the Holy Spirit whom he's given you because your spirit is awakened to God. We must worship him in truth, praising God as he truly is, describing him as he is, describing us as we truly are, and reminding ourselves of the truths of the gospel, as we're going to see in just a moment here. So again, what this means is singing on Sunday together, what we just did, is not worship, necessarily. It's only worship if it is done in spirit and in truth. If our spirit has been awakened to God and we are worshiping him in that spiritual truth and in the truth of who he is. If not, we're just singing a song, which is cool <laughs> for some of you. For some of you, it's torture, <laughs> right? Like it was for me as a kid. But just singing a song is not worship if it's not done in spirit and truth. It's no different than jamming, rocking out to a country song in the car on the way home, right? So our big idea simply praises the verbal expression of our worship, as we've already said. So we must worship God in spirit and truth, and praise is just the verbal expression of it. C.S. Lewis says that's the consummation of it, that this is our opportunity to just worship him. There are many passages in scripture that point us to the necessity of this or that call us to praise, God, collectively, in the community, together. Uh, we're going to read a couple here from Psalms, and then we'll go to the New Testament for a couple of uh, Paul's writings on it. Psalm 47, 7, for God is the king of all the earth. Sing to him a psalm of praise. Psalms is just a poem or a song. Sometimes they're put to music. Sometimes they were not. Psalm 149, 1, praise the Lord. That's the, the Hebrew word hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So if you hear that in songs and you're like, I don't know what that means, it means praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the godly. These are just direct imperatives. Like, this is what, just do this. <laughs> you should do this. It's good for us to sing praises to God. Now let's look at Colossians 3. We're going to look at two passages, one here in Colossians, and then we're going to go to Ephesians, and then we're going to practice. All right? It's like, yeah, he's preaching a sermon about singing. Like, we should probably get to the singing pretty quick, right? <laughs> All right. So again, one, guys, one of my aims is for you to just appreciate what we do here, right? to, to, to enjoy what's happening here, to admire God, to worship through what we're doing here on Sunday mornings. Okay, verse 16 of Colossians chapter 3, Paul writes, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. I love that. So that's like the main verb in this, in this verse. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Now he's going to describe how the message of Christ can dwell among us. The you there is plural. He's talking to the whole Colossian church. So he's describing how this message of Christ, it's the gospel, the good news of Jesus, what Jesus has done for us, the story of God described in the gospel, ultimately fulfilled in Christ. How do we let that message dwell among us richly? As you teach and admonish one another, so he's calling us there to, to teach and admonish one another. How? With all wisdom. Through 
How do we teach and admonish one another? Through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. So this is from the earliest days of the church. Paul's calling the congregation at Colossae to sing together, to minister to one another. So what's happening here as we're singing, it's more than just even my connection with God. We as a church community are ministering to each other through the singing, through the words that are being sung. It's a way for us to let the message of Christ dwell among us richly, to be saturated in the gospel, in the good news of Jesus. Because I've read a number of different authors who have said this, and I think it's true, that more theology cements in our heart through the singing than it does through me preaching to you. So this is a way for us to collectively minister to one another. It is when we all raise our voices together singing praises to God. Teaching, admonishing one another with all wisdom. Difference that we could parse out the differences in these words, psalms, likely referring to the psalms, which many of those works of poetry were put to music and sung together. Hymns, some of the hymns of the early church. Uh, there are a number of places in the New Testament where, whether Paul's writing or Peter, they pause and they kind of go through a section that was likely an early church hymn that was, that was sung in the churches that they all were familiar with. Songs from the Spirit, so, so songs that were written either spontaneously, someone senses the Holy Spirit calling them to say something, or songs that were written under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, just Spirit-led songs. And of course, gratitude in our hearts is vitally important as we're singing praises to God. Again, it's how we let the, the message of Christ, the gospel, dwell among us richly. So how can we not be grateful while we sing when we think of what Christ has done to save us? Ephesians 5, 15 to 17, it's Paul writing again. Here's kind of the, the governing idea. Could go back a lot further, but in the context, he's talking about how we should follow God's example, how we should walk in love. He calls the church at Ephesus to ethical living, essentially, live in light of who they are in Christ, but not to like earn God's favor. Again, he's saying this is who you are in Christ. You've been made new, so live like it. He says, you were once darkness, <laughs> I love it. He doesn't say you once like lived in darkness. You were once darkness. But now you are light. So believe that. When you're in Christ, you once were darkness, now you're light, he says. So don't just think that that's true. Live like that's true. Cement that in your heart, that you are light in the Lord. He says, live as children of light. Then he goes on to describe how wise living is knowing God's will and living within it. He says that God's will for all Christians, not just like the specific will of God, like what is God calling me to do in my life? That's part of it, right? But more foundationally, God's will for your life is spelled out with like the ethical imperatives of scripture, like how all Christians should live. That's God's will too. So that's probably what he's referring to here. Like, don't be sexually immoral, he says. Uh, don't participate in foolish talk, in greed. And then he comes to this. (laughs) 
I'm just going to go back to that again really quick. Like, I don't know, for some reason that hit me. I wasn't even planning on saying it, but when Paul says that you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Again, please, pleading with you. If you're in Christ, believe that to be true. That this transformation has happened. If you sense the Holy Spirit of God revealing this, to be true in you. Sometimes we just resist it and we go back to our former self and we say, we, we beat ourselves up so much. We kick ourselves when we're down. We listen to the lies of the enemy and say, no, I'm darkness. I'm still in darkness. If you're in Christ, you're not. Trust it, believe it to be true that because of what Christ has done for you, you are light. It's a great word picture. Sometimes you just feel like darkness. It's not true. If you're in Christ, you're light. He's made you new given you his light and his life. Okay, and Paul goes into this. Verse 15, look carefully then how, how you walk. It's just how you live. It's an analogy for living your life. Not as unwise, but as wise. So how do we live in wisdom, making the best use of the time because the days are evil? Okay, the days were evil in the first century. The days are evil today, right? We don't need to parse that out very much. We know that to be true. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. There's not necessarily like a universal uh, imperative against drinking wine. He's saying, don't get drunk. He tells Timothy in, the book, in his letters to him that to drink some wine medicinally for his stomach, right? So it's not as universal imperative, but what he's saying is don't be drunk. And he's comparing it with being filled with the Spirit. So you see what he's doing there? Just like Alcohol controls you when you're under its influence. He's saying, now, be filled with the Spirit like that. Be led by the Spirit like you are when you're under the influence of something else. So allow the Spirit of God to influence you. Because we're familiar with, those, with that picture of somebody being intoxicated and being controlled by it and out of their control. Now, be that devoted to the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit of God, he's saying. What does it mean to be led by the Spirit of God? If you are, this is what will result. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So he said, be filled with the Spirit. And then these participles, uh, <laughs> singing, making melody to the Lord, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, they're describing what it looks like, the results of living that spiritual life, being filled with the Spirit. And then he goes on giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, thanksgiving is vitally important in worship. Worshiping from your heart, praising God from your heart. Again, this idea that I've been hitting on time and time again, singing is not worship in and of itself if it doesn't originate from your heart and directed to the Lord. Otherwise, we're just singing. Must be from the heart. So Ben, why don't you guys come up and we're gonna practice this. We're going to practice praising God, worshiping God. We're going to practice expressing our admiration for God, our delight in him. So even as, <laughs> even now, just take a moment. Do I delight in God? Delight in him. Admire him. That could be the route that we start with today for you to walk away with is how do I grow in delighting God, in God? 
It's knowing more about him. It's spending time with him. It's all of the disciplines that we've been talking about. It's attending church. It's reading scripture. It's hearing the gospel preached. It's sitting in private worship with him. And your admiration, desire, devotion to God will grow. We're expressing our joy in him. We're obeying God's word together when we sing, as we've, as we've seen in scripture. In the devotional, I go through this. I didn't cover it today. In the sermon, we're joining the chorus of creation. <laughs> creation declares the glory of God. Jesus, in the triumphal entry, when he comes in, he says, if they stop praising, the rocks will cry out. Creation declares the glory of God. So we're joining in the chorus of creation. We're joining in the chorus of heaven. All throughout Revelation, it describes the saints in heaven. It describes angels praising God, worshiping him, glorifying him. We're ministering to one another in this time. Let the words that we're singing, the, the voices of your brothers and sisters in Christ be an encouragement to you. Let them strengthen your faith. And we're living out the spirit-filled life. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, this is what we do. We sing together. We worship God together. We praise his name together. So Lord, I pray that as we raise our voices to you collectively together, that Lord, your spirit would minister to our hearts. That Lord, you'd move us from just singing a song to genuine worship in spirit and truth. That you draw our eyes to you and Lord, that this would just be the verbal expression of our admiration, of our love for you, our devotion to you. And Lord, may we just find joy in singing, in telling others of how good you are, of how great you are, of our delight in you. Would you just fulfill our joy as we declare your excellencies together? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand and let's praise our God and Savior together.